If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they have rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their heads down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathe any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. This is the word of the Lord. That was a long one. I figure if you get nothing else out of the sermon, you'll get a lot of Bible, so that'll help you out. I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. I know I did. I uh, caught up on all my college football, and I almost had to wear the stretchy pants. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I avoided the stretchy pants this Thanksgiving, but I did eat a lot of food, and there's still more uh, to go, so I will finish that off tonight. Uh, I was being a good millennial this weekend, and I looked up Thanksgiving, not because I didn't know about the Native Americans and the pilgrims and the feast they had in 1621. I did go to elementary school Thank you very much. Um, I looked it up because I had this hunch that Thanksgiving had Christian roots, and Google didn't let me down. Google told me that, that Christians for centuries before 1621 had set aside days of Thanksgiving, that, that this one day of Thanksgiving was the day they marked it and said, okay, we're going to celebrate this every year on this specific day. But for centuries, Christians had put this practice in place of saying, you know what, we don't want to be the kind of people who just take for granted the blessings of God in our lives, but we actually want to be the kinds of people who stop, we pause to say, you know what, everything that we have is a gift from God. We want to give him thanks 
for it. They understood something that I think we often miss, I know I do, which is that there's this huge temptation to drift into an attitude of thinking that we deserve what we have, that we've earned it all, that, that every blessing in life is produced by us and not recognizing that it comes from the Lord. And so we live in a culture that's saturated with criticism and complaining, uh, whether it be the politicians or the news or social media, or your neighbor up the street who complains about that woman who keeps parking in her spot. You probably experienced families complaining this weekend. Maybe you, maybe you. Oh, no, he didn't. He's stepping on my toes. Maybe you complained this weekend. The air that we breathe is an air of complaining. We complain about the traffic, about our jobs, about our boss, our coworkers, our families, about people these days. Maybe if you've got a gray hair or two, you complain about kids these days. It's the air that we breathe, but it is not to be so with the Christian. The act of giving thanks is referred to nearly 150 times in the Old Testament, another 38 in the New Testament, and over 100 of those are commands or directives that we as Christ followers are to give thanks for the blessings of God in our Life. The author of Psalm 107 is no different. He too is convinced that thanksgiving is central to the Christian experience. Verse one, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever, 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 forever. You hear that? Forever. I said it with a B, you didn't catch that. But uh, The Hebrew word for giving thanks is, there's two words. There's yada, say yada. Yada which is a verb, and there's toda, say toda, which is a noun. The word here is the word yada, it's the verb. And it means to publicly confess your thankfulness to God. So while the world is publicly complaining, publicly being negative, Christians are to publicly praise God specifically by giving thanks. While the world is leveraging their conversations and their social media to complain about what's going on in life and to just spew all the things they're not happy about, Christians are to leverage every conversation, every opportunity, every social platform that we have to give thanks to our God. Why, you ask? Why are Christians to be different? Why are we to give thanks? I'm so glad you asked. Thank you so much. There's a reason. For he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. We give thanks, not just because we're supposed to or because it's what good little Christian boys and girls do. We give thanks because it's the only logical response to the nature and character of our God. We give thanks because God in his essence is a God of goodness and of loving kindness. As the, as the apostle James wrote in his first chapter, he says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. If that is true, then every single thing in our life that is good is a blessing from God. The education we have is a gift from God. Our friends are a gift from God. The body that we have is a gift from God. Our income is a gift from God. Our home is a gift from God. The breath in our lungs, take a deep breath. <gasps> that was a gift from God. That's a humbling thought. Because what it does, it positions us to say, you know what, I, I don't have this education because I was super smart. I don't have this job because I had to drive to work. I, even the, the, the intelligence, the drive to work, that itself was a gift from God. The, the family I was born into, the country I was born into, it's a gift from God. And not only are the good things a gift from God, but the hard things, the Bible promises us that he is working together for our good, for the good of the, those who love him and are called according to his purpose, Romans eight twenty eight. 
Even the hard things in our life, God is turning those to where there are blessings in our life. That sickness, the layoff, the breakup, the difficulty your kids having in school, the, the unexpected financial burden, God is working it all for the good of those who love him and are called by him, which means we can thank God. We can bless God, not only for the good things in our life, but the hard things as well. You can thank God for that sickness because you know that the healing is coming. Whether you're healed in this life or in the life to come, whether you're healed tomorrow or next week or next month or the day that you die, you know that healing is coming because you serve the Lord, my healer, Jehovah Rapha, one of the names of God. He is the Lord, our healer. I remember a few years ago, I was sitting by the bedside of a Jubilee member who was in her mid-30s and her body was being ravaged by cancer. And she was not bitter at her life being cut short by cancer. Somehow she was faith-filled and joy-filled as she headed into her death. Why? Because she knew that she was about to meet Jehovah Rapha face-to-face. And she knew that he was going to heal her. And that in that eternal city, she would have a new body and a new life that could not be taken away from her. Death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? This applies to all of life. When your bills are stacking up and you don't see a way out, let alone how you can walk by faith and give generously, there is God right there with you, whispering in your ear, do you remember? I'm Yahweh Yira, the Lord who provides. I mean, the Israelites, 40 years in the wilderness. Just imagine this, 40 years in the wilderness. Some of us haven't even experienced 40 years yet. A lot of us have. I have not, in case you're wondering. 40 years in the wilderness. They had no means of providing food for themselves, no means of getting water for themselves, no means of you know, running down to Burlington and getting a new uh, pair of shoes because theirs were wearing out. They had no means for any of that. Yet Yahweh Yirah was with them. And so every day, bread rained down from heaven. Moses strikes a rock. Water flows from a rock in the middle of the wilderness. 40 years, they're walking around, wandering around, and their shoes don't wear out. That's a miracle. I can't make shoes last six months, 40 years. Their shoes don't wear out because Yahweh Yira was with them. And then when Jesus comes on the scene and there's 5,000 men plus women and children, probably 20,000 people in the crowd, and he's got five loaves of bread and two fish, he makes a statement. He, he, he declares by his actions, I'm Yahweh Yira. I'm the Lord who provides. And so he blesses it and he multiplies it and the famine turns into a feast. Friends, I don't know if you're experiencing a famine in your life, but if you are, you can bless God for that because Matthew 6 tells us that he who seeks first the kingdom of God, all these things will be provided for him. So if you're in the midst of a famine, you can trust God and bless God and thank God in that because a feast is coming your way. I talked with a woman this week who lost her mom early in the week and then on Sunday, when she gets home from church, her husband is in the middle of having a heart attack. And she lost her husband on Sunday. And as I stood with her and I talked with her, in the midst of her pain, in the midst of her tears, she says to me, Dylan, I know that he's good and I know that he's with me. How, did, how do you do that? She wasn't ignoring the fact that it was hard. She wasn't ignoring the fact that it happened. She wasn't acting, she wasn't putting a fake Christian smile on and acting like everything was okay. But she also wasn't allowing her circumstances to determine her view of God. She was allowing her God to determine her view of her circumstances. 
I talk to people all the time who are trying to figure out, you know, what's God's will for my life? What do I do? And should I take this job? Should I move to that city? Should I be in this relationship? Friends, this whole gratitude thing, this whole trusting in the Lord thing, it's huge. And you know what it might be to take that job or have that relationship or move to that city, but you know what, more than that, I mean, check this out. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What's the will of God for your life and mine yet? Maybe all those things, God God cares about those things, but, but more than that, the will of God for our life is that we would be a people whose hearts are so grateful that in all circumstances, in all things, we would be able to give thanks to him. That's the will of God for us. It might, it might be helpful to think of gratitude less like an emotion and more like a habit because this attitude of gratitude, this ability to respond with thankfulness and trust in the Lord, it's not something that just happens to us because we showed up to enough Bible studies or happens to us because we sat in church enough days. This is like a muscle that we have to train. We have to work it over and over and over again. And eventually it builds and it grows and it becomes stronger so that when life hits us, we can respond with thankfulness to God. Gratitude is more like a habit than an emotion. It's been said that if you don't give expression to your impressions, you lose your impressions. And if you flip that, if you do give expression to your impression, your impressions grow. What are you talking about, Dylan? So if you don't feel grateful and you start giving thanks, you'll start feeling grateful. Invariably, if you feel grateful, but you don't express that with thanksgiving, you'll actually start feeling grateful less often that critical spirit will begin creeping in on your life. So how do you know if you're in the habit of gratitude or not? Well, here's a a litmus test that Rebecca, my wife and I, we found helpful. When you leave a social setting or a situation in life, just maybe just think back to this weekend, Thanksgiving weekend, or or the last time you were around a, a group of people, do you find yourself expressing thanks for the people and the gathering and the opportunity? Or do you find yourself being critical? When you discuss, when you have conversations with people at work, a community group, with your family, your friends, do you find yourself taking note of the blessings of God and taking note of all the things that the Lord is doing? Or do you find yourself being critical or complaining? And this is a, this is a hard litmus test because often it doesn't test the way we want it to. Often it shows us, you know what, I, I'm, I'm getting in this critical position. I'm getting in this critical posture. I'm complaining. I'm, I'm whining about Things. And it's one thing to be a critical thinker. That's a gift from God. It's another thing to have a critical spirit. You can be a critical thinker and yet still note all the blessings and the goodness of God in every situation and every person. But when you have a critical spirit that, you know, nothing's ever good enough. There's always something to gripe about or criticize or complain about. And, and, and God, he, he doesn't enjoy that. The same way you and I, we don't enjoy someone who is just critical and complaining all the time, we actually are kind of like, how do I get out of this conversation? God, in the same way, he doesn't enjoy that. It's not a hospitable environment for the presence of God when we're critical and complaining. And yet, God, it's almost like he can't resist the grateful person. He just loves being around them. He draws them near. He's like, I want to get around that. Uh, Psalm 22 says it a little better. It says, for the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. Gratitude, it doesn't just change our hearts. It changes our environment. So when we praise God and we give thanks in a gathering like this every Sunday morning and this band is leading us in worship and leading us in song, it's not just doing something in our hearts. It's actually changing the environment to where this becomes a hospitable place for the presence of God 
to where God can dwell among us, for he can inhabit the praises of his people. Friends, I don't know about you, but I want God to be in my life. I want him to be in my, I know, I know you do. I know you do. That's why you're here. So I didn't mean that. In a, I don't know about you, but I didn't mean it that way. I know you do. I know you want him in your relationships, in your work. I want him in my marriage. I want him in my life with my kids. I want him with me when I'm by myself, when I'm driving. I want him with me. Well, one of the ways I can ensure that, that, that his presence is near to me and that, that, that he's inhabiting the space in which I live is that I can lift up praise to him. I can give thanks to him. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's always with us, but there's something special about the presence of God coming upon us when we become thankful. Christians are referred to in this passage as the redeemed of the Lord. And to redeem something is to buy it back, to, to make payment for something that was lost. And God is a father in every person, his creation. The Bible says that we are made in his image, Imago Dei, that, that we are like children from their parents. We are created from God to, to reflect back to God, his image, his glory, his goodness. And so God created us from his, himself to reflect his image. But when Adam and Eve, the first man and first woman, turned their hearts against God and they sinned against God, the sin entered into the world and sin corrupted the world and it corrupted their hearts. And, and every person since then, including you and me, has been corrupted by sin. And not only have we been corrupted by sin, but we've chosen sin. We too have actively turned our hearts against God. We've chosen ourselves and other things over God himself. And it's not only corrupted us, it has, it has affected our soul's ability to drink from the well of God which is why each and every one of us at some point in our lives has laid our head on our pillow and wondered, is there more to life than this? It's why each and every one of us, when we grow distant in our relationship with God, or maybe you've never had a relationship with God, we have that hole in our soul, that longing for something more. As verse four tells us, some wandered in desert waste, in desert waste finding no city, no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Many of us can relate to that. We've been wandering around in life. We've been searching for something that would satisfy. And it maybe was the relationship that you just thought, oh, this is the perfect person and they're gonna complete me and they're gonna fulfill me. And here's the thing about relationships. If, if we draw upon relationships to make us happy and we think that's gonna fill the void, I'll tell you what, the more we draw upon that, the more strained the relationship becomes because the person was never meant to handle that load. They were never meant to be God for us. And eventually the relationship breaks. Same with our careers. Relationships are a blessing from God. Career is a blessing from God. The promotion's a blessing from God. But when you pursue that, thinking that that's gonna satisfy you, that that's gonna give you some identity or some affirmation in life, that that is gonna complete you somehow, the climb to the top never ends. And, and you talk to football stars who are in the NFL and people ask me, you know, what are you gonna do now? And they're like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I thought it would be a little different than this. I, they're disillusioned. They're thinking, oh, I thought if I just got that trophy, like that would be it. And then they get the trophy and it's not it. Some of them sink into a deep depression because they, they got it, they hit the top and oh, it wasn't what I thought. Only God can fill that hole in our lives. The saddest reality is to see someone who does this up to the end of their life. To watch someone who ends their life having wandered their whole life and never come to the place of turning to God for that. And I think, God, this is not the end of the story for the people of this psalm. It doesn't have to be the end of the story for me and you. When they hit the end of their rope, the people in Psalm 107 did something different. Verse 6, they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Friends, you and I, 
I don't know if maybe there's people in this room who have tried church, maybe you've tried religion. You've kind of added that on to life and you thought, okay, that will do me some good. I'm just here to say, if you try Jesus, if you try church, it's not gonna do any good for you. It's not gonna help you at all because you can't add him to your life thinking that's just gonna make it a little better. Christianity is not another method of self-help. It won't get you there. And actually what you'll end up finding is you'll end up finding this let me down, this disappointed me because it's not actually Christianity. What Christianity teaches us is that we have to come to the end of ourselves. We have to come to a place of desperation to where we cry out to God, God, you're the only one who can save. We have to come to a point of saying, God, I've tried everything else, or I don't want to even waste my time trying everything else. I just want you. And we cast ourselves upon Jesus Christ and he gives himself fully to us. Only when we do that can we be Saved, And so they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Friends, if you're searching today, if your soul is hungry, can I plead with you, cry to the Lord. Come to that place of desperation where you just cry out to God, God, will you save me? God, in his love for us, he was not content for us to continue walking around, wandering on our own. He sent Jesus, his only son, to die in our place for our sin. And Jesus, he, he not only died on the cross for our sin, three days later, he rose from the dead, forever conquering Satan's sin and death, so that if we trust in him, not only would our sins be forgiven, but we would get new life with him forever. And as a matter of fact, I just want to pause right here and say, if you have never crossed over that line of faith, if you have never said, Jesus, you know what? I am a sinner and I'm in desperate need of you. Jesus, I, I have looked elsewhere to find satisfaction for my soul and I've realized that it's come up empty. And if you've never had that conversation with God where you, you say to God, God, I need you and I want to cast myself upon Jesus Christ. I want to trust in his finished work on the cross and in his resurrection of the dead. If you come to that place today and you say, God, I want your son, please save me. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that, God, that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's a promise for you today that if you cross over the line of faith, you can enter into an everlasting life with God that just goes on forever and ever and ever. And the redeemed of the Lord here in this church, the Christians in this church, we want to invite you into that. See, we got some amens. They want to invite you in. So if you haven't crossed that line, cross that line today. Anyone who trusts in Jesus as Lord becomes the redeemed of the Lord. We've been redeemed, Peter tells us, not with corruptible things as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Christian, is this not your story? Has God not done this in your life? Has, if, if you are a Christ follower, your sins are forgiven. Your slate has been wiped clean. And you've been given new life. Therefore, let us say so. Let there not be a day in our lives where we do not lift our voice and thank God for the blessings in our life, but also let us tell of his wondrous works to the children of man. C.H. Spurgeon, pastor in the 1800s, commenting on this psalm said, the redeemer is so glorious, the ransom price so immense and the redemption so complete. How could we do anything but thank him and sing his praise and tell of his wondrous works. How could we respond any other way to the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ? This is really all evangelism is. 
You know, the people who are the best at sharing their faith and helping others to cross the line of faith, they're not the people who have the best little elevator speech or the best little tricks and tips. They're the people whose hearts are so overwhelmingly grateful to God, who who are so flooded with the joy of their salvation that they can't help but tell people, God's good. He loves you. He loves me. He's changed my life. And you know what I tell you? Some of the people who bring the most people to church, who are the most effective in evangelism, sometimes I'm surprised because I'm like, you're not that like, you don't have it all polished and perfect. You're actually kind of raw. But you know what they have? They have hearts that are just bursting with gratitude and they can't help but shout his praise. And it affects everyone around them. We're headed into this Christmas season and I know, I know some of your stories. I know some of your situations. And I know that there are many of us in this room, we have friends, we have family that we love, that we are praying. And you've been praying for a long time that they would cross the line of faith. You've been praying that God would work in their hearts and they would come to see the goodness and the love of the God who you serve. And you know, Christmas season, people are 47% more likely to say yes if you invite them to a Christmas service than any other time of the year. It's a good time to share your faith. It's a good time to invite. And we'll, we'll have all the tools and the flyers and social media to, to invite whoever you want. But let me just tell you, if you, if you want to bring up your faith, there's no better way than to just get your heart full of the Lord, full of gratitude. And then go to that person and say, I just got to tell you, God's so good. He loves you so much. Will you just come just once? I'll leave you alone if you just come once. And just see how good he is, see how kind he is, see how loving he is. See if he doesn't do what in your life what he's done in mine. I know a woman that she uh, completely turned away from God, didn't want anything to do with God. And her neighbor, every Sunday morning, would come knock on her door and say, Chloe, will you come to church with me today? She'd say, no, I'm hungover, leave me alone. And every Sunday morning, her friend would come, hey, Chloe, will you come to church with me today? And one Sunday morning, Chloe said, what do I have to do to get you to stop? And she was like, just come once, just come once, I'll leave you alone. Chloe came. She encountered the goodness and mercy of God, just undone. And on that day, gave her life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Been enjoying his mercy and loving kindness and goodness ever since. Friends, there's nothing better than to get our hearts full. And this is so important because God is calling all people. The the Psalm tells us that he's calling people from the north and the south and the east and the west. He he doesn't care about their social status, the color of their skin. He doesn't care about their career, how how great they are, how not in in society's eyes. He doesn't care about how rich they are, how poor. He doesn't care if they're from East St. Louis or West County. God is calling all people to himself. And, And the external may look very different, but the internal in God's eyes is the same. So verse 10, there's a different situation. It says, some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. So here we're no longer in a wilderness, we're in a prison. And and we're looking at a poor person in a prison cell, a helpless, hopeless prison. They can't get out. They're confined in a prison cell. They're they're locked up. And and this is a door of bronze. These are bars of iron. You can't get out of that. Prisoners aren't able to set themselves free and especially not this one. Friends, you and I, apart from the mercy and grace of God on our lives, we are prisoners to our sin. And the worst part is we deserve it. We put ourselves in that prison. The prisoner here, they deserved it. They committed the crime. You and I, we deserved it. We earned our punishment. We earned our prison sentence. Romans 3 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We sinned. We earned it. 
But Jesus Christ, in his grace and mercy, gave us the free gift of salvation. You know, I don't know if you know this or not, but it's so important that we understand that salvation, coming into the goodness and mercy of God, it's not something you earn. It's not a ladder you climb. It's a gift you receive. And he has given himself fully to us. Again, the only thing they had to do was come to the end of themselves and cry out to God. And it says, he brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Are you a slave to your sin this morning? Are you a slave ultimately to the death that's coming your way? God will burst your bonds apart if you'll call on him. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. A couple years ago, my wife and I, we visited our church in New Hampshire, and uh, there was a guy we met in that church, became friends with him, who uh, he's a businessman, owns a pretty thriving business there in New Hampshire, and he, he knew he wanted to leverage his business for the kingdom of God, to do, to do uh, the works of God. And so he built this relationship with this pastor in Nepal, and slavery is, is a terrible problem in Nepal. I mean, they estimate that every year, 10,000 Nepali girls as young as 10 years old, are being trafficked into India every year for prostitution. It's a terrible thing. And so this, this uh, friend who's a businessman he connected with this pastor, and he said, you know, I want to do something about that. And so he stepped into the middle of that and created this nonprofit. And, and personally, he's already purchased 42 slave families. Not just 42 slaves, 42 slave families. Mom, dad, kids, personally purchased them so that he could set them free. Not only does he purchase them and then set them free, he provides education and work to ensure they never go back to a life of slavery. Let me ask you, how do you think those slaves felt when they came to their new master who just purchased them? And they're expecting to get their list of everything that he's gonna have for them to do and their threats of if you don't do it, I'm gonna kill you, I'm gonna beat you, I'm gonna torture your children. They're expecting all that. And instead what they get is, yeah, I purchased you that I might set you free. Come into the new life that I have for you. Friends, you and I, we were in a worse slavery. We were in slavery to Satan, sin, and death. And Jesus, when he purchased us, he says, I purchased you that I might set you free. Friends, there's so many reasons for us to thank God for for the good things. We can thank him in the hard times, but ultimately we can thank him for the salvation and the deliverance that we have in Jesus Christ. There are 100,000 million reasons why we can bless God. We can bless God every day of our lives on into eternity and barely scratch the surface of his goodness and his love towards us. As John Wesley wrote in his famous hymn in 1738, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my dear Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace. My gracious master and my God assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the world abroad, the honors of thy name. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears. Tis life and health and peace. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. All for the church to rise up and give herself to the act of thanking God. Friends, what would change in your life, in your relationships, in your work, in your community group, 
in this church, if we were to commit ourselves, if we were to draw a line in the sand and say, I will not be one with a critical or complaining spirit. I will be one who gives thanks to the Lord. And I do it with all my might and with all my heart, every opportunity I get. How would that transform everything in our lives? And amidst a culture that is just flooding with a stream of negativity, how would the church pop out as a light in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation? How would the church become the salt and the light of the earth? Like, we would be like that city set on a hill if we were simply to commit ourselves to being a thankful people whose hearts were filled with gratitude towards the Lord. Friends, let us draw a line in the sand today that, that, that we will not be a church who gives thanks once a year or once a week, but instead let us be like Psalm 107, 21. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to the children of men. I think it'd be fitting for us to end today, not just by going into another song and continuing our service, but actually standing together, if you'd stand with me.